Hello and welcome to Chainsaw Matinee. Everybody take your seats. We have such sights to show you. I'm Kai. I'm Marty. And I'm Hannah. And we have a guest with us today. Hi. Hello. Welcome. I am Janessa and I'm very excited to be here with some uh, longtime friends. We're excited to have you join us. Yeah. And so, Janessa, you um, suggested this movie for us. Today, we are talking about The Company of Wolves. And uh, I'm very excited to dig into this. Also, like, as soon as you said Dark Fairy Tale, I did immediately just think, like, oh, wow, Hannah's gonna love this. Oh, I don't got, know why. Yeah, I'm just I'm, like, this is... <laughs> I was like, this is Hannah's jam. <laughs> I won't shut up about Into the Woods. I won't. <laughs> That's probably part of it. Where I'm like, no, Disney didn't do Dark Fairy Tale right. <laughs> and this this has such good Dark Fairy Tale vibes. It's I had no idea this movie existed. I'd never heard of it. And as soon as I saw the poster with its kind of like sort of psychosexual vibe mm. combined with this very like earthy which is hilarious, earthy aesthetic, that's because it's all on a soundstage, but I love it. It's so, it's so natural feeling. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. Um, so when yeah. did you first see this movie, Janessa? So this movie came to me as I was developing a course on uh, fairy tales and folklore, with the emphasis being... Disney is kind of a crux and focal point. What can Disney do? What can Disney not do? And where have they pulled from or refused to pull from in their broader catalog? And as I was preparing that for my undergraduate students down here at Texas Tech, I stumbled upon this short story called The Company of Wolves. Uh, it's a fairly renowned retelling of Little Red Riding Hood that carries many of the same elements as the film, but many different ones as well. And it was in that process that I encountered the movie. And as we're talking about here, I, I was struck by the fact that Disney could never uh, do any <laughs> of this, but also Sondheim could never really do any of this. Sondheim would not go this far, and certainly not when you're both embellished, but also restricted by sort of the joys of Broadway-esque musical theater production. So I just became more and more fascinated over the summer with this project. And when we talked about me coming out of this episode, I figured what better what better time and what with what better people to try and suss out what this film is doing. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right, so shall we dig into a um, synopsis of sorts? 
Oh, with this one, that's going to be particularly yeah. I was about to say this movie has there's been... so many threads. <laughs> there's a lot of like stories within a story here, um, which I personally love. I love it when movies do stuff like that. But it's going to be interesting to like piece together. Um... Mm-hmm. What would it be useful to start with the the frame of the story? Yes. So we open up with. Uh, this well and this semi-macabre landscape. We see a dog running. We see a car um, going. And then we start to learn about this family. Does not seem like the most pleasant family in the world. but No, they do not. <laughs> but they're, for the most part, fairly unimportant. Because what we're really getting to is... Up the stairs of this house, this very mean sister starts lomping up there. We get to this locked door, and on the other side is a, a sleeping girl. She has um, this doll-like makeup on her face, very rouged cheeks, and a, I believe it's white top with little colorful hearts all over it. And And she is just curled up in bed, fast asleep. And we learn very quickly, oh, this movie is set within her dreamscape. Yes. Um, and her sister's, like, yelling at her for, I believe, for, like, stealing her makeup. And um, so that does, like, introduce us already to the central theme of this movie, which is, like, the end of childhood and growing into adolescence. So, uh, with within her dream, it's like, um... I'm really bad with time periods just from looking at props and stuff, but it takes place a long time ago. And um, the characters, so the girl's name is Rosaline, and uh, in her dream, she her sister is killed by a pack of wolves. And um, so while her parents are mourning, they send her to go stay with her grandmother, who is played by Angela Lansbury. Um... Oh my I think god, I lost murder, I know. Fame. That's the other reason. Yes. I think uh, Angela Lansbury has just always been a grandma. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was delightful to see her in this movie. Um so she of course makes Rosaline a bright red cape because this is a little red riding hood story. Um, and she gives her all these different pieces of advice and wisdom and tells her little stories. So her pieces of advice are never stray from the path, never eat a windfall apple, and never trust a man whose eyebrows meet. Uh, Which, that did kind of get me. I'm like, oh, grandma's just out here telling her, like, uh, don't mess with anyone who has a unibrow. Um, It did crack me up a little bit. People with unibrows. I guess specifically well, men with loved, unibrows. Well, and I loved her um, little monologue about, like, literally right next to their priest about, like, well, when a priest has a bastard, it's a werewolf. And she's like, Grandma, you can't say that. The priest will hear you. She's like, nah, he can't hear shit. Yeah. He can. That was <laughs> she a really great scene. She does not give a fuck. She's and just like, yeah. She doesn't back down. From that. Yeah, she's just like <laughs> throwing shade at this priest. I'm like, honestly, good for her. And she also has that very interesting line because we see that religious imagery repeated throughout. Um, 
of not to trust priests either. There's a reason they call them fathers. And that is the entirety of her logic for not not following their wisdom, not being secure around them. So it's something that stretches far beyond just this particular character. It's a more overarching understanding of the religious world that they're living in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, while she's staying with her grandmother, the grandmother tells her a story about um, a bride and groom. And, of course, the groom has a unibrow, so we know he's bad news, or at least not to be trusted. Um, So it's like their wedding night, and uh, they're about to go to bed together, and then suddenly the groom is like oh nature's calling i've got to go outside so she assumes like he's going out to go to the bathroom but he doesn't come back and when they look outside there's a bunch of wolves out there and so she assumes that like he got eaten by wolves um so eventually she marries somebody else and has children but the first husband comes back and he's really like upset with her and um Calls her a bunch of derogatory names, which is not fun. And uh, he transforms into a werewolf, but he's killed when her new husband returns. Um, I want to talk about this transformation scene, because this blew my mind. He starts- this is like the craziest werewolf transformation I've ever seen. He starts ripping his skin off, and like, (laughs) his body is just meat, and then like his- meat muscle form grows a snout and like it's like because the grandma does say something about like there are some men who are hairier on the inside than the outside so like it does really hammer that home of like on the inside he's a werewolf so he's tearing out all these like outer layers of skin and stuff it's crazy Mm -hmm. and the effects were so good yeah, it reminded me yeah. of the scene in Trick or Treat where the girls kind of just like slough off their skin do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. That's what it reminded me well, of. And there, this movie also, to me, has kind of a, a labyrinth vibe. A little bit, yeah. In terms of, like, yeah. the soundstage and, like, some of the puppetry they used for, like, this particular transformation. Like, the eyes mm-hmm. kind of harken back to that. And, of course, like, the story of, you know, coming of age, sexuality, mm-hmm. kind of exploring. Very much a fantasy fairy tale setting. Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A, la- a labyrinth by way of Cronenberg. What happens when yeah. they <laughs> a little bit. twist this together yeah. into corporeality and the terrors of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great absolutely that's a great way to word it. We meet like some of these other people in the village that she lives in. So we've talked about the priest, and there's also like this boy who's really into her, and they go on a walk in the forest together. Um, but then, like, they find out there's a wolf out in the woods. There's a bit of this scene where, like, they go on a walk together, and she, it's just this beautiful little detail. It's not little, but where she climbs up the tree to kind of get out of his path, and she climbs up into this bird's nest, which is so fascinating because when the bird's eggs open, it's like these little ceramic babies. Yeah, that was really cool. Perfect fairy tale 
moment where it's just so entrenched with meaning, but it's also so whimsical. And it's it's just this cool moment of her exploring and her like showing her independence and just I really like her character. She's just a very good, brave um heroine like i i was very fascinated with her journey and where where it led to and i also i like all the 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 female characters in this movie the grandma is like the perfect balance of like kind of like okay grandma that's a little much but also she's got so much wisdom that you can't not take her seriously and she's the mother also has this really interesting protective but also nurturing instinct and it's it's very cool. I, I, I enjoy all of those characters. Yeah. The women in this film are very endearing. They're very uh, compassionate and they have a lot of positive qualities. The, the same cannot be said for the men. Yeah. Not no. even slightly. Yeah. I was going to say, it, it was, it, I feel like that TikTok audio where it's like, she's beautiful, she's amazing, Um, and he's there. Yeah. Uh, so, does anyone want to go into the grandmother's second story that she tells Rosaline? Is that the one with the devil in the Rolls Royce? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, this one I kind of was a little lost by because I-, I felt like it was a little more... I couldn't see how it ble- bled into the plot as well as the others, but I believe there's a boy who makes a deal with, I think, the devil. Um, to get a potion that will help put um, hair on his chest and make him kind of grow faster, maybe become more masculine, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, that's how I interpreted it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then after he puts the potion on his body, like vines thrust out of the earth and like nail him to the spot eventually. And then it's this very cool transition where his, like, screaming form... I think he turns into a werewolf eventually. I think that's how this fits into the, the theme. Um, And then his, like, f- screaming form appears in Rosalie's, Rosaline's mirror. And she, like, turns around and goes, Grandma, that was not a very good story. Not very nice. <laughs> Which, to be fair, that's is, how I is true. That is, that is an accurate description. <laughs> I love, like, old stories like this where the devil is just involved, like, where the devil just shows up and, like, causes mischief. I'm like, that, <laughs> I don't know why, that just always gets to me. It's the southern gothic in me. <laughs> we all grew up with Devil at love... Georgia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love two details about this that are completely self-serving one i just love seeing the actress who plays rosaline and this very platinum blonde wig just like handing shit between the devil and this boy i I thought that was very sweet and then also the fact that the the devil is played by like the butler from the haunted mansion movie oh it was i'm 99.99 i thought i recognized him. him that's so funny Oh, he's and, also and I, se- in, uh, I second Star the love Wars. of that hair. Yes. Oh, if I could take that wig, I would would have snatched it right off her head and run into the woods. <laughs> hair throughout this movie is very, very noticeable. Of course, the werewolves themselves and the, this potion of like the world's worst fairy tale, Zydrate, 
uh, what it brings onto your chest. Um, <laughs> uh, but also elsewhere, the the parallels we have between um, an earlier and later story of women with this very noticeable frizzy giant hair, um, as well as little red throughout this, having far and away the most immaculate and cared for hair. Uh, out of anyone in the movie, she's the only person I think who had uh, any form of hair, makeup, wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was the other thing she found in the bird's nest too. I think she found lipstick up there oh, when yeah. she or was she out found running. Like a, yeah, like a mirror, one of those hand mirrors. Yeah, and it emphasizes this through boosting the saturation. We already have a rainbow appearing. To indicate this this difference in color, but the fact that the vibrancy is all with her character and all in these moments of dawning makeup, uh, we also have imagery of a of a rose turning uh, red slowly but surely. So these very particular saturated colors and particularly saturated reds run through, mm-hmm. and there's something that only our protagonist can possess it's very much symbolic I mean, of her literally maturing and becoming a woman and blood and blood, and blood. lots of blood <laughs> Ooh, speaking of blood so there's the scene and i can't remember exactly where in the story it falls but i really liked the scene where they're um the villagers are hunting down the wolf that's been killing the village's cattle, and um, they like when they kill it, the corpse turns into a human. And um, mm-hmm. there's like a scene where they cut off the head, and the head flies into a bucket of milk or something. <laughs> or no, that was the, yeah. in the story, right? In the the first story, with yes. The... Where the, yeah, in the first story where the husband comes and kills the werewolf and, like, the head flies into a bucket of milk. It's so, like, artistically shot. And then um, the milk all, like, turns pink because there's blood going into it. And uh, the wolf's head turns into a dude's head. Wow, I love strawberry milk. (laughs) I'm not sure this is the type you want to drink, though. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> oh no. Unless you're a vampire baby, maybe. <laughs> do vampire, vampire babies, babies got to eat too, I suppose. Do vampire babies drink milk? They probably drink blood, but do they drink milk? Do they need milk? I don't know. These Should are the ask questions. Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> oh my god, no, please. I would rather I'm ask Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement. I feel like their world building is a lot more fun. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this, this well, director in- later went on to do interview with a vampire, so he might have an answer already. That makes sense. Oh, I was I about know. to say. Yeah, I didn't know this was the same director. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where were we? Oh, so if it, um, Rosaline does, like, let's see. She. Also- I think this is the... Oh, oh no, you go Sorry. ahead. I was going to say, I think this, you were kind of on the right point, because I think at this point they hunt down the wolf um, that they spotted chasing Rosaline. Is it Rosaline or Rosalie? Rosaline. It's Rosaline. Yeah. Gotcha. 
Rosalie's Twilight. Um, so this, and then they escape. they catch a wolf, and the father brings the the hand back because they, he cut off a paw as like a trophy of the wolf, and it turned into a human hand uh, by the time they had returned home. And I believe during the hunt is when Rosaline tells the the tale of the the scorned or the wronged woman who returns for her vengeance, which is probably my favorite of the small like the the mini tales is oh, what I call a, them in my head. It's a really good yeah, that one's really mm-hmm. good. And it's this tale that leans most assuredly into the surrealism. We already have that very firmly in all these stories and all these dreams, but that one feels like it goes above and beyond to emphasize this dream logic and this uh, the harshness of connections between the, the psychological elements and uh, the characters as props within that landscape of the mind. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, so Hannah, do you want to give a rundown of what uh, the story was? Oh boy, do I. Okay, so <laughs> there, <laughs> there was um, a witch uh, who lived in the woods who had uh, an affair with uh, a wealthy, well-to-do aristocrat. And he abandoned her um, after she was with child. And he is now marrying uh, another well-to-do, wealthy, aristocratic woman, who doesn't look super happy to be there, but she's she's there. She's she's making the best of it. And then the the witch uh, returns. No, yeah, returns to him during the the wedding party, and she, I believe, she's like, "You are no better than beasts, the wolves in the wood." And then she turns everyone except the staff into wolves and they all have this really like you said surreal transformation where like the hair is growing everywhere you see them in like various states of transformation i believe there's like one person who tries to like chug their wine as fast as they can before they like (laughs) yeah fully transform let me get all this wine Um, in me first i don't want to waste it I mean, mood. <laughs> it it was giving me a bit of the the mice transformation from the Roald Dahl book, except this one felt much more like we're supposed to be on the side of the witch because it was it was so very satisfying. And then Rosaline goes on to describe that she further cursed them to go to her at night while she was rocking her baby to sleep and sing to them. And her mother was like, why would she want that? Wolves howling all night. We hear that every night. It's not very pleasant. Rosaline's like, no, but it reminds her of her power. And then we just see her laughing Ooh. as these wolves howl at the moon. And it's so goddamn satisfying. Yeah. Girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> And I I was reading online a review where they were talking about how, like, the most empowering of the stories are told by Rosaline Mm -hmm. as she is sort of trying to find her her power and in her sexuality and in her growing up. And I I just, I really noticed that looking back 
Yeah, this is a very feminist yeah. film, um, which I'm sure we'll get into more later, but it becomes like very clear, especially with the stories that she tells. And that's very in line with Little Red as this classic fairy tale character. Uh, this young girl who is always unafraid to go into the woods to get to grandmother's house. And uh, of course, we know the, the demented endings that versions that story often have, but it doesn't change the sort of central bravery of this mm -hmm. character. And that's the distinguishing factor between her and the grandmother. The grandmother has very much uh, succumbed to and internalized and em embraced the fear and the anger um, toward the various systems that she's in, whether that be these uh, patriarchal systems and the, the corporeal men that are there to embody it and carry it out, whether it be these religious systems uh, or any of the various other uh, things that we see throughout the movie. I think the fact that Rosaline's dream is very heavily uh, influenced by aristocratic imagery, and that's who's punished, implies a lot of class struggle there as well. Um, but the grandmother has pretty much accepted these systems as they are and she will be this mm -hmm. wonderful mrs potts one woman stand against them Whereas i love that you said mrs potts because that's that's who angela lansbury is in beauty and the beast oh yeah i mean if anyone knows janessa knows yeah Disney i just is, i love uh, that yeah I, I like to imagine this this story Everything being the same except the grandmother is actually Mrs. Potts. Yeah. yeah and I, <laughs> I want to see that. Well, and it's hilarious. We were talking about Sondheim earlier where one of her big, her biggest roles was Mrs. Lovett. Yeah. Sweeney Todd. Todd. Yeah. Queen. She has, she has that, that wonderful really... fairy tale affect that she carries with her in just so many mm -hmm. of her roles. Yeah. Yeah, she has a little bit of that whimsy even in a uh, murder she wrote. Oh, absolutely. Well, and this is like one of those nitpicky things that isn't an actual criticism or thought about the movie, but the jumping ahead when we get to the part of the story that everyone knows, the the fairy tale of Little Red Riding Hood when the wolf is pretending to be the grandmother. I I like how it's played because Rosaline seems to know exactly what she's getting herself into mm -hmm. yeah. and is like prepared just because the way the world works, this is kind of inevitable, sadly, is, is the feeling I got watching her go through the scenario. But when the wolf is like trying to impersonate the grandmother, I'm like, you can't impersonate Angela Lansbury in such a half-assed manner. <laughs> I, I yeah. love how the film negotiates that where uh, we yeah. are uh, with the characters and we hear it just very faintly through the wall, the wolf saying, come in, little red, or, or what, whatever the particular line reading is there. But it's so muffled in the sound mix that mm -hmm. it, it avoids the, the fact that there's there's no Angela Lansbury in that character at all. <laughs> there's yeah. no attempt to it. It's will rely entirely on this set design, this, uh, this staged fairy tale world. To convey the fact that, oh, there might be some element of realism to her yeah. not <laughs> recognizing this voice. 
Yeah. Which again, not an actual strike against the film itself. Like that's that's such a nitpick thing of like, oh, it doesn't sound like Angela Lansbury, but because like it's more about the intent than the, you know, literalness of its execution. But it mm. is also a testament to how iconic and unique her voice is. So let's all just take a moment and like love on Angela Lansbury. Thank you, Angela oh, Lansbury. Sure. <laughs> um, so let's get into this scene then. So we do get the um the traditional fairy tale plays out with a few different twists so rosaline is off to see her grandmother and on the way she encounters um this man in the woods who of course has a unibrow um (laughs) he's at first he's like acting like oh i was lost but oh i'm really not lost because he's like i've got this compass so the compass helps me kind of find my way so i don't even need the path and so they kind of have a back and forth for a bit and then he challenges her to a contest and he's like well i bet i can get to your grandmother's house before you can so you take the path and i'll take a shortcut and use my compass to help me get there and um if it's it's also worth noting here that the description of the compass is very very phallic he notes continually (laughs) that i have this thing in my pants that will direct me where to go yes (laughs) This is not your your normal navigational hey, y'all, compass. This is my y'all remember Swiss Army Man. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> the part in yes. Swiss Army Man where like oh, he uses his dick as a compass. Do you remember? That? <laughs> yes, I think your dick is guiding us home. <laughs> yeah, it's magic. Um, the true the truest <laughs> north star. <laughs> yes. Yep. So there is this. Uh, they make a deal, like, if she gets there first, then she gets to have the compass, right? And um, I can't remember, what does he get if he makes it first? Oh, he gets a, a kiss. A kiss, of course. Um, Led by so. the compass. To get what he really wants. Ugh. Oh, yeah. So, um, he does end up getting to the grandmother's house first, and he kills her. Sadly, rip, rip to rest in peace, Angel Lansbury. This movie movie has my favorite method of horror movie decapitation, where they just have a shot of the head just spinning like a volleyball. (laughs) Yeah, they do that a couple times. Shatters like a like a vase. Yeah, it's so. I I love it. Yeah, not in an ironic way. I just I like. I wish they had done. They do that more. Yeah, the death scenes of this movie are like very artful. Mm-hmm. Um, even like the transformation scenes are 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 pretty artful too like very interesting yeah. to watch yeah so um when rosaline arrives at the grandmother's house she like pretty quickly catches on to what's happening um and she realizes her grandmother's dead because she sees like a clump of her hair in the fireplace which is just a great little detail and um there's kind of this back and forth where like you can tell she's kind of into the guy but also like pretty upset that um he killed her grandma so uh very interesting that, that's two general like, conflicts in life yeah <laughs> very interesting exchange and like it does like a part of it does kind of feel like that um that traditional idea of like you know, a woman leaving behind her parental figures for, like, 
to go with a man. But uh, this movie has a lot more of a of an empowering take on it. I feel. Yeah, it that part just reminded me of like the um. There's like a vine, and it's like this guy. He's like he's kind of cute. He's a murderer, but he's kind of cute. <laughs> the wisdom of Leslie Jordan. Yes, yes, Leslie Jordan. <laughs> So like she does. True. Uh, she ends up shooting him with his own gun, and it causes him to turn into his werewolf form, which is so. Oh my god! I can't believe no one's ever thought of this before because it's brilliant. But the way the wolf's snout, yeah, like emerges from his mouth. It's yeah. on the poster because they, yeah, like, it's oh, fucking we got cool. Yeah. Yeah, and again, just solidifying that theme of Harry on the inside, mm-hmm. yes. the beast within. The, the transformation scenes in this movie are so cool. Yeah, and then at the end of this one, uh, he's just a dog now. He's just a yeah, he's, yeah. He like he turned into like a wolf, but then when they cut back, it's just like a norm, like a normal wolf, and not like a yeah big scary man like man wolf thing it's just a wolf yeah and so, uh, I, I don't know like, it just it was very underwhelming <laughs> but it's good i like it oh i liked it yeah because once he's like just a normal wolf she kind of feels bad for hurting him so she kind of sits next to him yeah. by the fireplace and like starts taking care of him and she tells him a story um, about a she-wolf from, they call it, like, the world below or something like that. I don't know if they mean, like, hell or if, but I, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, there's a she-wolf that comes from the world below and... There's a uh, she-wolf in the closet. Yes. Let her out so she can breathe. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Um, so... Uh, she's like a you know a harmless like she doesn't really want to hurt anyone. She's just wandering around this village, but the villagers shoot her anyway, um, because they are afraid of her. And so there's a priest who helps like heal her, um, but she doesn't end up staying in the village, uh. Because she feels like there is she's one not line the priest says, and I wish I could remember it verbatim, but I think the general vibe of it is, "Where did you come from? Did you come from hell? Did you come from heaven? I suppose it doesn't really matter, does it? The point is, you're here. Yeah, and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. And it emphasizes this line where. And notes her as she was just a girl who strayed from the path in the forest and remembered what she found there. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which to me feels like this idea of Little Red's journey of she she is aware of her of what the world expects of her and what she wants in terms of like you know growing into adulthood, growing into her sexuality. Like, she's not afraid to own her own desire, to own her own knowledge, her body, her autonomy, essentially, in growing up. Like, she, re- she's not 
she's not afraid of growing up and being punished for becoming her own person. And because of that, the world like lashes back at it, her because like there's this idea of the patriarchy that women need to be small, women need to be controlled, women need to be told what to do with their bodies and how to do it. Mm-hmm. And she's just she's not having it. She's gonna go run with some wolves. Yeah, yeah. So at the end of this, Rosaline does uh, end up becoming a wolf as well. And uh, the villagers like show up at the grandmother's house looking to kill the wolf, but she and the other wolf jump out the window and escape with their pack. And then in the like within in the frame narrative, um, the girl who's sleeping in her bed, uh, a wolf like jumps through her window, and there is the end of the movie. Oh, and then there's the excerpt from the the fairy tale that is read oh, kind of as yeah, the credits yeah. start to roll. Um, let me pull it up. Unless someone else has it quicker than me. I unfortunately do not have it handy. Yeah, I don't either. Uh. Well, while we're pulling that up, it, it's perhaps worth noting here. That there there are a number of areas where in adapting the story for the screen, changes were made, things were shuffled around. Um, but most important to me, at least, is the fact that the ending is different. In the original Oh, how does it originally end? In the original short story, uh there's a similar emphasis on Red assuming her sexual autonomy, her bodily autonomy, and choosing to be brave and affirmative, whereas the grandma, as established earlier, uh, has very much succumbed to social pressures and external pressures. However, it's presented very differently. And and there, there's a logic to it in two different ways. Um, most obviously in terms of production. In the original story... Uh, we pull from the classic Little Red Riding Hood fairy tale where uh, Little Red gets into bed with the wolf. And in the original story, uh, it, there's an entire sequence of her uh, stripping naked and assuming this authority to get in bed with the the predator-like figure. Not something you really want to have in your feature film adaptation where there are real bodies on screen. Yeah. Um, you want to keep that... Yeah, uh, and I... Um, was this R-rated or PG? It's probably R-rated, I, I, but they didn't I want mean, it going into, if, like, yeah. X. Uh, or banned in all but, like, two countries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it well, is what R-rated. Is it, um, probably just mostly for, like, the transformations. The scenes. gore and stuff, Yeah. Yeah. And the actress playing Little Red, if I'm reading the behind the scenes correctly, was 17 at the time, so... Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. You you do not want to be crossing into that territory. Um, so yeah. instead, we have those same themes presented through her becoming a wolf. Yes. And and running running with it. the pack along with... Um, this this character, this predator character, who uh, she is shot and then comforted. So similar affects, but 
different, differently presented on the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so after she runs with the pack and bursts through her, the frame, the framing device, um, this uh, plays over the end as her toys kind of clatter to the floor. Little girls, this seems to say, never stop upon your way. Never trust a stranger friend. No one knows how it will end. As you're pretty, so be wise. Wolves may lurk in every guise. Now as then, tis simple truth. Sweetest tongue has sharpest tooth. Ooh. Ooh. And that's how a famous French take on the Little Red Riding Hood story ends. With that little rhyme? Yes, in French, of course. Cool. But Of course. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting to me that it ends with this quote, because this quote to me, and maybe I'm just not reading into it correctly, I feel like it simplifies the complicated nature that this film has adapted the Little Red story into. Because before it was kind of, at least to me, and I'm, I know there are so many different ways you can interpret this fairy tale, but like, you know, just kind of be careful of strangers, you know, just, just be careful, be smart, don't, don't wander from the path. And the, the turns this has taken into you know, bod- like sexual autonomy, bodily autonomy, desire, and exploration. And like, there was a quote from the mother that I love where she's like, well, aren't men just beasts? Because then it puts kind of women in a passive position of like, oh, just the victim. And then the mother says, well, perhaps there is a beast in woman that is matched. And I was like, oh, interesting. Ooh, yeah, I did love that line. Mm-hmm. And my I, I asking- find... I find that the uh, end rhyme is probably more, like, to like, kind of ironic, I think, mm-hmm. in that, like, it's, um, an, like, another part of the, like, fairy tales, like, warning against it, but, like, we just saw, you know, her transform into a wolf and, like, you know, become like autonomous and all of that and it's more like I don't know like kind of a a last like dig from like the old world or something like do you really want to be autonomous it's like yeah yeah I do thanks sorry Maybe kind of like a contrast, like, look how far we've come yeah. from what we originally interpreted this fairy tale to be at first glance yeah. to where we are now. Thank you for articulating that better than I did. <laughs> no, I think you articulated it well. I just... Yeah. Yeah. It might, it might be worth asking what this film endorsed as. Mm. Because there, there's a lot going on here, and I... I I'm with you all in terms of this feminist reading, in terms of this very affirmative reading. But I'm wondering if that's what the film believes. Because there is the, I think this, probably... this fact that the ending uh, depicts uh, Little Red waking up and being attacked and mauled by these wolves. Like, it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not a pleasant ending scene. Which would, think, would imply a negative ending. So I'm just curious. 
I think um, it's probably both. It's more like it, be be cautious, but like if you feel like you can handle something, then handle it. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think like it gives room to make mistakes. Um, because, like, that's also just what growing up is. Yeah. Um, so, like, sometimes those mistakes come back to bite you, but, like, it's still better to have that power to be able to choose, you know, your path in life, even if, like, the choice you make ends up maybe hurting you. Um, I don't know, that's a good question. I... I agree with Marty where I think it is it is both in that um, it, it does feel very true, at least for me, to my experience of, you know, maturing and realizing how the world works, how the world sees you, the dangers you have to encounter regarding like sex and bodily autonomy. And there is like this this excitement because there's this whole world you get to explore or experience the the problem is the way that the that others or society has twisted these experiences into something that can trap you or hurt you or harm you rather than just be an experience so i think it's like the loss of childhood but also the knowledge that at the same time this experience is still yours and you you have a harness of it on some level. I think, to me, I, I appreciate that it's not just, like, girl boss feminism, if that makes sense, where it's like, and now everything's great because she's a wolf. It's like, no, it's this it's this give and take. And I, th I find that much more relatable than just, and then she, you know, she got sexually empowered and everything's great. We... Little Red yes. took the wolf to court and succeeded. And <laughs> no, it's a very um, and then and then hoodwinked played out in front of our very eyes. Jesus <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what about you? What do you, what do you feel? Um, the movie is saying. I I'm very conflicted on it because I I think the movie itself, as you all are noting is quite conflicted. Um, we have this semblance of uh, this empowerment narrative. And I think that, again, is in line with the original Little Red story and how it has progressed over time. However, the fact that this is horror and the fact that this is constantly emphasizing the terror of what's happening and the fact that that terror seems inescapable even at the end I I don't know. I I have trouble grasping onto this text as fully affirmative, and I feel like there's something else there, but I'm just not quite certain what that might be. Yeah. Um You could even I know that we've kind of read into like Rosaline turning into a wolf as like an affirming thing, but at the same time it could also be her just playing into the patriarchy in another way. Um and that might also be kind of, uh, like, part of 
why you might feel so conflicted about it. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, there is something a little bit inherently violent about like werewolves in this movie, especially like just given like the violent nature of the transformation scenes, and they do go around like killing and mauling. So, um, yeah, I think that like a lot of women um look to like violence as like a feminist answer um which is not great so i do think it like kind of reflects that this idea of like oh like you know if i act violent also and like emulate this uh traditional idea of masculinity it will make me equal um versus like finding power in kindness which she also does, though, because she is kind to the wolf. Yeah. So yeah, it is a very much like a... God, so many... It's like a so double-edged sword here. You could yeah. definitely read it a, a few different ways. It might be worth focusing in on that moment at the end of, of pure kindness toward the wolf. And maybe maybe that has some answers there. Because it is this very distinct moment and one that... Uh, stands out but also feels a little bit out of place because we cut from this terrifying transformation to oh here's the good boy dog um puppy that's like the wagging <laughs> tail and excited to be yeah <laughs> participating with everybody um but rosalie starts comforting uh this this creature and then gives that story of the she-wolf i'm i'm wondering Maybe, is there something there between that connection of the act of comforting this creature and the story of the she-wolf? What was she trying to get out of telling the story or convey to this predator through the story? Yeah, I, um, I saw it as like a reflection of herself, like her realizing that she doesn't belong in the village, um, in the world of humans, and it's, like, her kind of decision to become a wolf. But, I don't know, I think you could read it a lot of different ways. Well, and this she-wolf is, like, the first opportunity we see of a literal she-wolf. Like, there were some in the the like party in the story of the the rich man who had wronged the witch but we don't really see what their nature is after they've been transformed um so whereas we see her nature is mostly just exploratory she just she just wants to see what's out there and she is punished for it and it seems that the other wolves are punished after they have they have committed some misdeed whereas she is just punished for existing. I don't know. I don't know what's there. It's 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 a fascinating This is such a fascinating film. It's so poetic in yeah. that it doesn't need to be literal or one thing. It just feels so descriptive of a feeling, mm -hmm. descriptive of an experience. Um yeah, I, there are so many beautiful, there's another, like, the recurring just animals, the fact that there are real animals in this film also is just very jarring because I, I, we don't use them as much anymore because, you know, 
dangerous. But it's well, just also so we don't we don't pay animal handlers because they're union workers. <laughs> so great. We moved, we've moved, moved instead to just not paying animators. Yeah. We. But yeah, just the spiders falling from the ceiling, the duck like flailing in the ground. There's this weasel that keeps like popping up and hissing at the wolves, uh, all the wolves themselves, which are, I think most of them were actually dogs that they just kind of painted from what I read from behind the scenes because they couldn't afford all the wolves. Oh, I did. Or like you said. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, uh, you go ahead. I was pretty much done. Well, I read a behind the scenes bit because you mentioned the scene with the duck. So I guess they did have like a couple of real wolves to use, but they wanted to use them very sparingly because, you know, wild animals. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess in the scene with the duck, they were trying to use a real wolf, but the wolf got scared of the duck and wouldn't go close <laughs> to it. And <laughs> oh, cracks me up. That's so cute. I, I just wish they well, had it's... that in the final movie, honestly. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, ducks are vicious. Ducks, ducks and geese are vicious. I, from what I've seen, ducks and geese seem much more liable to come into your house and eat your grandma than a wolf. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I geese mean, hiss at you, and they have weird dinosaurs. Teeth. Evil, but yeah, kind of going back to this, it's so curious to me how the wolves gained this reputation in the first place as this. This metaphor for like you know the danger the the perverseness the 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 invasion of all that is good because in reality they're just they're just out there. Yeah, we're why the they- ones that domesticated them. So like, why are we doing that? <laughs> Where did that come from? But, oh well, I mean the wolf is the the dog that refused to be domesticated if you think about it so that's true yes maybe that's like part of it right it's like people don't like what they can't control so this idea of like uh unbridled sexuality something that you can't control or tame um, Mm -hmm. i love wolves and we all know the reason why it's because (laughs) Shut up. <laughs> I mean, I like wolves other than that, but yeah. I know. I'm giving you a hard time. I know. I will say me. if there was a horror movie about, you know, coming of age into womanhood, I would wish my younger self had seen this instead of something like Carrie, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because this one, I feel like, invites questions and gives a sense of autonomy and exploration, a bit of whimsy, as opposed to Carrie, which seems mostly negative. I mean, I, Carrie, yeah. to me, is more about religious trauma, which is a whole other can of worms. Um, mm-hmm. I Carrie, Carrie's about religious trauma and what bullying can do to a person. Um. <laughs> so, have you yeah. seen Ginger Snaps? I have. I love Ginger Snaps. I have not. And it is a wonderful film. Yeah, but <laughs> that's kind of what got me thinking about this. I'm like, that's another film that's got werewolves as kind of a coming of age metaphor. Yep. Even more, even more explicit there. Yeah. 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 
getting the curse. And there's very much a <laughs> psychosexual aspect to becoming a wolf in that one. And um, not to well, I'm I don't care. Uh, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it is explicitly stated that werewolves are um attracted to uh, sexuality and uh, acts of sex. That's what brings them out and makes them what they are. They're essentially id monsters. Man, Oz was horny, huh? <laughs> Oz was real horny. <laughs> Uh, I need to go back and rewatch Buffy. I haven't watched it in a while. Yeah, you do. You need a friend to watch it with you? Yeah, I would love a friend to watch <laughs> it with me. Maybe one that's watched it a million times and can tell me all of the behind-the-scenes stuff because I love hearing that kind of thing. I'm hired. Yes, so speaking you're of hired. behind-the-scenes <laughs> stuff, um, Hannah, you said you had like some uh, some trivia about the making of this film? Honestly, um, Janessa kind of covered a lot of it in terms of the changes in adaptation and what the director would go on to do. Um, I kind of mentioned some of it of uh, the the wolves being mostly dogs who were painted, um, the, the actress being underage. This movie um, at the box office, I believe, broke even for the most part. And from what I heard, critic consensus was pretty, they were like, yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, well, that's like pretty, it didn't receive. That's pretty impressive in a way because it is like I I realize this movie could be hard to sell because it's a fairy tale, which a lot of people uh think of as like oh that's for kids, but then like this movie's also really gory, so like clearly it's not a kids movie. Um, so I can mm -hmm. imagine a studio would have a hard time marketing this, but I'm really glad that it was able to like find an audience and um that there's an appreciation for this film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there are so many, like, hard-hitting British actors in here, like, um, the the husband of the woman who married the wolf um, was in Downton Abbey. Um, I know the Rosaline's father has been in so many fucking things. Why is the only thing that's coming to my brain the Ninja Turtle ooze movie secret oh, of the ooze secret yeah, he was he's in, in the that. secret he's of the scientist. ooze oh my god he's the scientist i have not seen that movie in but, so long but now i want to go back and watch all the teenage mutant ninja turtles movies <laughs> but yeah he's also like a shakespearean like heavy hitting actor so he's like been in all the the royal shakespeare company yeah, shit and of I course Angela Lansbury. Yes. Of course. I do love watching British movies for that reason of like, you always recognize at least one actor from either Doctor Who or Downton Abbey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of the two. Or both. Well, and there's something about this production. I think it's because it is on a soundstage and they are using like a lot of um, stage actors, but there is something very theatrical about this film but not in a way of, like, the old 30s musicals where they just kind of put down the camera on a tripod and stage it like a stage show. There's something, like, for me, this is the closest I've seen to film capturing the energy of a stage show. Yeah. And I can't quite put my finger on why. There's something so intimate and something th so tangible about I th this film. 
I think probably it is the acting and the set design being on a soundstage. Um, Can I just and, give shouts out to the production design in this movie, by the way? Yeah. I know I've already talked about it in regards to like the effects, but wow, I loved the production design. Uh, the costumes, like every element the, of it, I feel like just really came together in a beautiful yeah, way. Yeah, I really, I really like the props and like, I really, uh, also like the, the way like objects kind of looked in the film, especially like the bird's nest thing. I thought that was really cool. I love that. Um, with like the eggs opening up and they like open up like. They don't crack like a normal egg. They just kind of like open. Like it's yeah. it's very funny. It's like on a hinge. But well, it's very cool. It it has this quality about it that feels at once very endearing and very enchanting. So that the stage production elements, the the fairy tale elements. But at the same time, there's something uncanny about it all. Uh, like the fact that the eggs open up and they are the, these little stone uh, baby-like figures. The, the fact that there's blood everywhere. It it feels like it's trying to take this kind of Freudian conception of terror. Mm-hmm. Where what's really scary is the fact that this seems to be home, but it doesn't feel like home. Yeah, it's very... It's that dreamlike kind of feeling to it. Like, the the uncanniness comes from, like, all the surrealism that's going on. Just everything well, is, like, part- slightly off. Um, even when it's, like, normal and you're not watching someone turn into a werewolf or, or being slaughtered. <laughs> There's just little weird things going on. And it's, it's very, like, whimsical in a weird way. Whimsical, but a whimsy that you can never be comfortable with. Yeah. Like if, I, if, this was, if this was the whimsy of your everyday, you would be going insane in your mind. Yeah, At I feel like it's... At the same time, though, I think... It's, sorry, go ahead. It's right in the middle of, like, a... Um, like a Salvador Dali or maybe a Goya kind of feeling. Just, like, right in the middle somewhere. If there if there if there was like a scale between Goya and Dolly, it would be like kind of in the middle. Did that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that I um could totally see that. Absolutely, I think it's interesting you bring up the the madness and the surrealism because I think there's a there's a bit of this film that feels so honest to me, despite all that, because. I mean, this is how we cope. Like, we are, at least right now, it feels like we're surrounded with this, like, death and horrifying things happening all around us. And yet we we still find a way to get up and keep moving forward in this kind of dreamlike, possibly disassociative state. And yeah, I think it's just a way of, like, I don't know survival and accepting reality because like these people like you said they there's this horrific blood and death and things they can't possibly explain and things they they don't know how to survive and yet they have to like i think the mother is such an interesting example of that because like she sees her daughter turn into a wolf and she's gotta 
do like a turnaround like that. And she does. She's like, do not shoot her. That is my daughter. And just listening to the fairy tales and seeing the hand and just finding ways to cope in these extraordinary circumstances that you, you can't really explain. And maybe that's part of like just growing up, just finding these stories. I, I mean, is that not what fairy tales are for? Like finding these stories that make reckoning with the madness of the world a little more tolerable or at least a way you can get through the day. I don't know. I might be talking out of my ass here. I feel like I'm talking a little bit out of my ass. I I feel I, like it makes sense, though. It's It certainly makes sense. And uh, you, you are not talking any more out of your ass than an entire field of study. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm reminded here of the work of Bruno Bettelheim, a, a childhood psychoanalyst who did a lot of research on fairy tales and argued uh, compellingly, I think, that Fairy tales meet the child where they're at. They explain the world in a way that is more authentic and accurate to the view of the world a young infant or toddler or child has than uh, the scientific explanation might be, than the uh, hyper-realistic explanation might be. And, and I'm wondering, based on the wonderful comments you just had, is that more authentic for us as adults as well? Are, are our dreamscapes, our nightmarescapes, the, the way that we kind of uh, twist things, pervert things, shift things in our mind, is that more authentic to our experience and our understanding of life than the, the realistic girl boss version of this type of story would be? <laughs> I feel like at least with the surrealism in the dream states, for me at least, when I have dreams, I wake up and it makes me understand, like, the way I'm feeling about something. And, so, like, maybe I don't know what it was specifically, like, that I was trying to figure out, but, like, it's a feeling. That's, that's kind of emotional reality. Yeah. Emotional authenticity. Yeah. Yes. And especially, I think it makes a lot of sense now because we have such this, such a focus on efficiency of uh, making capital every second you're alive. So having these stories that focus just on the emotion kind of give us a moment to like take a break from this world and reckon with what we're doing and why we're doing it. Agreed. Very much agreed. I, I had one final question that I was hoping to pose to you all. Yes. If that's all right. Um, yes, Given our time constraints. So yes. the director of this film, we already talked about how they uh, go forward to interview with a vampire. But they also go forward to another film. And it's uh, The Crying Game. Which... For those who haven't seen it, as an important text uh, within uh, transgender studies and in terms of transgender representation, very fraught text as well. But it it becomes an important point of discourse and and point of performance uh, for that reason, and it's from this director. So I want to ask you all that there might not be much here, but 
is there a transgender reading of this movie? And if so, what might that be? Oh, I am always down for transgender readings. Um, so I, I, I think, yeah, <coughs> there could definitely be that. Like, just in regards to, like, the nature of a werewolf being a creature that transforms. Um, yeah. Of course, there there's, like, Rosaline turning into a wolf, and that's, like, maybe her um, embracing the masculine part of herself, um, which is very final girl, if I do say so myself. <laughs> yeah the old carol clover um, yeah carol clover my old friend i uh <laughs> oh i lost my train of thought oh i do think because there's like an element of body horror to this film too um i just kind of think body horror is like inherently transgender because we have such a complicated relationship with our bodies as trans people mm. and um so anytime I see that, I'm just, I don't know, it just brings out the trans feelings in me. I mean, who hasn't wanted to, like, rip off their skin, right? And oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, like, reveal, like, the true inner self within you. If it was that easy. I rip off all of my skin and underneath is, like, a little tiny orange kitten. <laughs> I don't know. Underneath Garfield. Is uh, underneath is is a very hairy man. <laughs> well, and just this idea yeah. that what is presented to the world at first may not be who you are, I think is a running theme that I do think is linked to, you know, trans. Just because you may appear a certain way does not mean that you are tied to that identity. And I think allowing for that transformation does lend itself to a trans reading, absolutely. Yeah. And as you're so, mentioning, that that sort of terrifying corporeality of it, and the fact that this story and many like it, like ginger snaps, like things of that nature, they're so heavily tied to pubescence, which for a trans person, it tends not to be the most pleasant time of your life <laughs> no yeah. no it is not <laughs> uh, I, was, I was really struck by that comment about the, the kitten underneath um yeah <laughs> and, and i'm thinking now to it was a joke but maybe there's a little bit of a truth to it like many jokes there's a a little bit maybe <laughs> no, no joke is ever just fully a joke as as yeah, you know from yeah. the the uncanniness of stand up, but uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> tying it to tying it to that shot we've talked about before. I'm I'm wondering about our our sort of final predator character, uh, the fact that Little Red comforts uh, this this wolf figure with the story of the she wolf, uh, a story that is about a different gendered version of that same creature. I'm, w I'm wondering, keeping with this idea of a trans reading. Oh, yeah, I was thinking about that, like, because, because the wolf 
shows its true self, like, he shows his true self, and then he's the it, uh, whimpering and kind of scared, almost. And it's like, is that from the wound, or is it from the identity being exposed? And, and mm. as we we mentioned very early on, this film is not not super... It's not very in love with the idea of masculinity in any way. No, it is not. Um, And to to the point where when hair comes on your chest, it becomes a a point of trauma and a point of uh, horror. The fact that that there are Mm -hmm. no good men in this movie. So that that could be further commentary on that. Just this idea of the the terror is becoming a man the terror is assuming masculinity when that's not the desirable outcome mm-hmm. which would resonate for uh, somewhere in the in the ballpark of half of trans experiences <laughs> yeah yeah i am like i said i'm always down for a, a trans reading of horror films yes um, and uh, we, need, we think... need more of them in the world yes we do absolutely yes, yes. And I think this movie lends itself very well to that reading. I like that, and and this is kind of true of just like most traditional fairy tales too. That you can really take so many different readings, um, mostly because like fairy tales are filtered through so many different cultural lenses because they're seen as like universal, right? So I I love that um, aspect of this film that you can view it through so many different lenses. Yeah. And all of them make sense. Yeah. And it feels like the text is resisting a certain simplicity judgment of one sentence can sum up what this film is trying to say, which I really, really admire. Yep. That's what makes it so beautifully rich to sit through. And and one that I imagine uh, many of us here will be returning to. Yeah, over and for over sure. Again. Thank you so, so much what we're, for joining. Oh, sorry, Marty, go ahead. You are so sorry. sorry. So what we're saying is Rosaline and the wolf from the end are tea for tea, right? God oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Trans mask, trans femme embracing each other, finding comfort yes. in this terrifying horror landscape of cis-normativity. Absolutely. Yes. Salvation and transition. Exactly. Yay! Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for joining us, Janessa. And thank you for suggesting this movie, because I really enjoyed it. And yeah. um, I would definitely mm-hmm. recommend it to our audience. Thank you all so much for having me. It was wonderful to be here and to get a, an opportunity to talk about this. This poetic, dense, and always fascinating text yes yeah so do you have anything that you would like to promote while you're here uh sure you all can if you if you enjoyed what you heard here uh you are free to follow me on twitter i'm at cherry pop punk because i will never move past that phase in my life Uh, (laughs) yes i feel that good i mean we can never give up a Gerard way. Never. 
Um, that's right. <laughs> and, and, if, and if you really like these words, uh, I, I do teach at, um, at, at the college level, so you're, you're free to enroll in a school and take my classes and go into debt <laughs> to keep going, but there, there, are, e- there are easier ways. Yeah, I was about to say, if I had money, um, I would totally take you up on that. Yeah, absolutely. You are so incredibly smart and wise, and any person who has had you as a professor would be so damn lucky. Yes. Yes. This was incredibly insightful uh, discussion. You are welcome to come back to our podcast anytime. In fact, I'm kind of like, now I'm like, ooh, we should talk about ginger snaps. Um, Oh, hell yeah. I I would always be happy to talk about that. I haven't seen it. I want to see it. Let's see it. It's so good. Um, so, so for... sounds like we have a, sounds like we have a date with puberty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the puberty um, monsters here. <coughs> Sorry. Oh no, that was a big mouth reference, and I have the perfectly raspy voice to do it right now. <laughs> I had to. Yeah. Um, so for those, uh, who want to keep up with our podcast, you can find us on Twitter at Chainsaw Matinee, and we also have a Patreon, so if you really liked what you heard, feel free to toss some money our way, and it helps us keep our equipment up to date, and pay for hosting fees, and things like that. Shout out to Jenna, our highest tier patron, and, uh... Thank you to everyone who's listening. Patron or not, we appreciate each and every one of you. Spooky season is almost upon us, so stay tuned for some uh, cool Halloween-themed episodes. And we will most likely be taking requests, so keep an eye on our Twitter and um, uh, send us DMs if you have any films that you would like for us to cover. traumatize me do it (laughs) i dare you oh no (laughs) um thank you again janessa for joining us and another thank you to our listeners with that being said um everybody take care do not stray from the path uh don't trust people with unibrows and don't eat windfall apples because they got worms in them And may your nightmares be plentiful. And full of wolves. Awoo!